the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Wednesday. We are in the middle of the week. We're closer to Friday than we were on Monday. That's a good thing. Some rain probably today, some rain probably tomorrow. That's not a bad thing. I don't know about you, but I, you know, cutting the lawn the other day, it was like a dust storm all around the uh, riding mower. So I'll be happy to see a little precipitation. And I just um, got ready to. Uh, plant some crepe myrtles in front of my house so i'd like to see a little bit of uh, of rain to soften the soil just a tad all right it's like concrete out in my front yard right now so i got out the maddox and was you know looking like i was working on the railroad yesterday uh trying to dig holes so i'll be glad to get a little bit of rain and soften things up uh, we are going to have Harding University with us here this uh, half hour. Kevin Ramey is going to be with us, Dr. Kevin Ramey, uh, the director of the physical therapy program at Harding University. So we want to talk a little bit with him uh, today about uh, their uh, education program for physical therapy. And Doctor, welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show, and how are you today? I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing great. Let's uh, just start off by uh, what are the steps that somebody has to take to become a physical therapist? Uh, I would say in most cases, the, the traditional route would be to um, get an undergrad degree, um, a bachelor's degree in either uh, exercise science or biology. Um, for, for our program and, and some of the other programs I know about, you don't have to have a specific bachelor's degree. Uh, we had a student who graduated last year, and he came in with a, with a French degree. <laughs> so as long as you have the, the prerequisites um, to, uh, to uh, get into the program and to have the bachelor's degree, that's, that's kind of the traditional way. Um, Harding is actually starting a new program this fall. Uh, for it's an accelerated program and freshmen can start out and um, on this kind of accelerated program and it, they will actually as opposed to having to go four years for their undergrad degree they will um, do a three-year accelerated program and their senior year of of their undergrad degree will actually be in the physical therapy program. So in turn, it cuts a whole year of education uh, and education costs out. And so we're excited about that because we think it'll uh, save students money and, and have them be able to get out in a five-year period as opposed to a six-year period. 
Okay, so what you're saying is that last year, are they going to be working in a, a physical therapy environment on campus, or would they be working with physical therapists all across the state somewhere? They will actually start into the first year of the, the PT program, and so they kind of are able to to combine their senior year of their bachelor's degree into their uh, into their first year of physical therapy school. Once they get into physical therapy school, uh, our students will complete five uh, clinical internships where they're actually working with uh, physical therapists out in the field. Uh, we require uh, our students to do an acute care rotation, like in a hospital, um, uh, one in a rehab center where they'll deal with more neurological type injuries, and one in an outpatient orthopedic or, or sports medicine type clinic. And the other two uh, rotations that they have to do would be uh, in a, an elective. They could repeat one of those or they could do another area. Okay. I'm just thinking that the physical therapy field has exploded over the last few years. Seems to me that's probably because baby boomers now are in their late 60s, early 70s and need that. And then, uh, you know, younger people are still out being younger people and playing sports and going hiking and biking and all the kind of things that they do. Exactly. And I think that's one of the things that we're seeing as the baby boomers have hit, you know, the Medicare age, um, that that has that has really um, facilitated the need for physical therapists in um, in the long term care facilities or in in, you know, physical therapy to work with geriatric patients. Um, I, I think the fact that a lot of people have moved to more sedentary jobs where they're sitting behind a desk all day um, has facilitated uh, a, a rash of neck and back kind of chronic injuries that, that people have. Um, you know, some some uh, researchers compare uh, sitting to the, it, you know, sitting is the new smoking because the, the health effects that we see or the negative health effects we see from uh, from so much sitting. There are some other things that have, you know, with, with research and technology, one of the really growing fields in physical therapy right now is pelvic health. And, you know, when I got into physical therapy almost 30 years ago, you, you never even heard of a physical therapist sitting, treating someone for incontinence or, you know, uh, a pelvic type issue. And that's really a growing area right now. A number of our graduates have gone into pelvic health, uh, and it's really a growth area in physical therapy and something that, you know, a few years ago you wouldn't really thought a physical therapist even treating. That's interesting. I, I, had, I had not even have heard that. I haven't seen any articles about it. I guess I'm not reading the current physical therapist magazines <laughs> that are out there or, or what, whatever. Our guest is uh, Dr. Kevin Ramey. He is the director of the physical therapy program at Harding University. And as you know, over the last few months, we've been talking to specialists from all kinds of fields and that Harding continues to increase their graduate program uh, at their school and here's another example of a field that you know that Harding is excelling in and I keep telling everybody uh, doc that uh, you don't have to go to the east coast or the west coast anymore you can stay right here in Arkansas and get the same uh, brand of education that those other people are getting. 
You know, I uh, I came to Harding about ten years ago when uh, when the physical therapy program started, and uh, I'll I'll be honest, I didn't know a whole lot about Harding, um, and I was surprised at the number of health science programs that this little uh, college in the middle of Arkansas had, um, and I think that's one of the things that. I feel like gets missed sometimes when you're looking at Harding. I feel that most people see the Christian education part of it, and I think that's very important. But I think the other thing that you really get is a quality education. Um, I think Harding excels in a number of fields, and I think that that um, is not always thrown out there. Our, our physical therapy assistant program—I mean, not physical—our physician assistant program is is uh, is a very good program. We have uh, speech language pathology, pharmacy, nursing, uh, and, and so I think we have a number of really strong health science programs. Um, and, and as you said, I think the students get a very good education when they're there. All right, we got to take a break, and then we'll come back and uh, finish up our interview with uh, Dr. Kevin Ramey. He is the director of the physical therapy program in Harding University. And I hope as you've listened to this, a lot of people think that, you know, physical therapy, you can just fall off a log and get a degree. Not so much as you've been listening to what the doctor is say, saying. It's a tough tough series of uh, courses that you got to go through we'll talk more about that in just a moment want to remind you about pi roofing we've been just talking about how to you know keep your health up as far as using physical therapy people like myself baby boomer 68 years old um i got to go see the doctor again i think got another problem with my shoulder maybe another impingement that i'm going to have to have worked on that means i'm going to have to have some physical therapy Uh, after that's over and i want somebody who knows what they're doing and it sounds like to me that harding's going to put the people out uh that i can see to make sure that i'm 100 percent well again pi roofing is out to take care of your roof they're the best for that uh they have people and they send their people to, to classes just like uh you know harding lets students come into their university you don't get on somebody's roof with Joel Johnson's uh, business, unless you can show that you can do everything that needs to be done on that roof and do it to the quality that PI roofing requires. He actually has a roof in the back of his business. Uh, You come in looking for a job, he's going to put you on that roof and he's going to put you through the paces, ask you to do this, do that, you know, nail on a shingle, show how you do that how do you overlay shingles all of that how do you repair one small place in a roof and don't have to do anything for another place in the roof they're very very particular about who they put on their teams uh they hire people and i'll let you know if they hire you you get paid really really well because they do everything really the best that's pi roofing their number 707 3554 707 3554 or visit them online piroofing.com yeah our uh, guest this half hour dr uh, kevin ramey uh, he is uh the uh, director of the physical therapy program at harding university if uh, you're listening here to the show and you're saying wow that's a lot of information uh, you can get more information by just going to Harding 
dot e d u slash p t. Let me give you that one more time. Harding dot e d u slash p t, and you can get all the information that you're looking uh, for this particular uh, program. Doctor, let's talk about uh, you know increased longevity. People are living longer and uh, are expecting to continue to live well, and that brings physical therapy to the front of the line, doesn't it? Yes, sir. I think one of the things that uh, we we see uh, as as you get older, you, you start having these aches and pains, and oh, my knee hurts, my shoulder hurts, or whatever, and uh, or back. That's that's something that we see a lot of, and. I think the thought is, well, I'll just push through it or I'll take some Advil or, you know, leave or whatever to, to get me through. Um, and, you know, I read a quote the other day and it said, uh, pain is the body's way of saying that there's something wrong. Uh-huh. And I think sometimes in our culture, we have, you know, we have learned to, hey, you, you disregard the pain or you push the pain down or you work through the pain. The pain is just your body's way of telling you there's something wrong. And oftentimes, if we will go ahead and take care of that issue early on, it won't turn into such a debilitating thing. Um, you know, I, I, I talk to people who they've quit running because they've got their knee or, you know, and, and sometimes you need to, you know, cut an activity out. But if you can correct the issue that is causing that in the first place, you don't have to stop exercising. You don't have to stop doing your, uh, you know, activities. You were talking about a while ago wanting to plant crepe myrtles. Well, if, if that's something that you enjoy doing, then if, if, if a physical therapist can work with you and correct your deficits, then you should be able to continue to do that. All right, you know, and, and it's some, it's a program, the physical therapy programs all across the United States are growing, not just at Harding, everywhere. My grandson wants to be a physical therapist, and he's taking the classes at Texas Tech. Uh, that's, that's where he's going to school because he's closer there than he is to Harding. But the bottom line is, is that it's competitive. So how competitive is your PT program? We normally take uh, 35 to 38 students per per class, and and we we just take students once a year. Um, our applications range from uh, you know 250 to 300 uh, applications per per cycle. I know some PT schools have have quite a bit more than that, um, and so it it is a fairly competitive field. I think one of the things that you know, in counseling students and working with students, um, oftentimes when they get into uh, that freshman year and they're wanting to have fun and play and their, their grades kind of drop, uh, that they spend the, the next three years of their, you know, bachelor's degree trying to recover that. And so I think that's one of the things that I really try to talk to students about who, who are going into that freshman year is, you need to take it serious from the start because once you get a low GPA, it is really tough to bring that back up and and be competitive with uh, with the other students. Yeah, and you got to be competitive, whether people like it or not. Competition is part of our our culture. Although there are people which like to get rid of the comp, uh, competitive uh, edge of our uh, of our culture, but 
We get better doctors. We get better therapists. We get better mathematicians when we're competitive. I would agree. You know, you uh, when you think about someone that is going to be a health care provider for, for you or for one of your uh, family members, you don't want someone who barely got by. You want someone who is who is good and excels at what they do. And so um, that I think it's important that that you have the best people out there uh, taking care of patients because they're in a, vul- a vulnerable state and you don't want someone that's going to take advantage of them or not give them their full effort. All right. So the PT program, I understand, is not directly on campus. It's a little bit off campus. There's got to be a reason why that happened. Why don't you talk about that some? When we started the physical therapy program, um, we actually started out in the the south campus of what is now Unity Health, um, and we were actually in their their hospital there, and that's where the program started. And they were trying to decide where on campus they were going to put us. And actually, next door there was an an old physician building. And um, Dr. Burke said, I think we could put the PT program in there. And I have to admit, I did not see his vision at the time. We went and toured this uh, rundown building. Uh, <laughs> but we, uh, we, he, he was true to his word. He, he built us a nice facility there. And it has turned out to what uh, the, the faculty and I would say a lot of the students agree with uh, – it has turned out to be a very positive environment because the only thing in our building is physical therapy. Right. There is uh, um, Harding has approved an OT program, and and they uh, you know may be over there with us, but it it really facilitates a good communication between the students and the faculty. Um, I was at another university. And, you know, I might go weeks without seeing some of my students um, here because the only thing that's in our building is physical therapy. I see pretty much every student every day. Now, the students don't always like that, but I think from a <laughs> from a communication standpoint, it really is nice because the the students just have to walk across the hall from where their classroom is, and that's where all the faculty offices are. So they can have – we have a very open-door policy, and the students can come in and talk with faculty anytime. And similarly, if I need to get a hold of a student, I just have to walk right down the hall. So that – I think that facilitates a nice communication and a nice family atmosphere uh, that we have. All right, we've got three minutes left. Your program is different from every other school's program. What makes it so great? I think, you know, we have a, a Christ-focused program. I think that is different than, than what you see. I think one of the other things that, that you can see on paper is we take our students on, a, our third-year students, on a medical mission trip um, every year, except when COVID is uh, wrecking our plans. That, that happened last year. Um, typically, we go to Zambia, uh, wow. and we spend two weeks <laughs> treating patients in Zambia. Uh, we spend time educating the Zambian providers. And as one of our former students said, if you can treat a patient in Zambia, you can treat a patient anywhere. And so I think that is um, a very tangible thing that you see. I think one of the things that it's hard to to quantify is our faculty. Uh, this is the best group of people I've ever worked with. Um, and I don't just say that um, flippantly. Um, the, this is a very drama-free atmosphere with these faculty. Uh, we have five of our faculty that have specialties, and um, 
I think they have a real passion for learning, have a real passion for students. And I think that's probably the faculty is what's going to separate us as much from other programs. I got to tell you what, I'm glad that you do this third year program where you take them out of the United States and take them to a third world country because I'm going to tell you what, a lot of Americans never get outside of their own borders and just don't know how really lucky they are to have the health care that they get. And uh, I appreciate what you all are doing there at Harding. Every every program is, you know, just amazing as far as I'm concerned. Our guest, uh, Dr. Kevin Ramey, uh, he is the director of the physical therapy program. If you've been listening and you go, gosh, wonder what he said about this. Here you go. You can find out more. By going, uh, you know, just getting on Google, go to harding.edu slash PT. And, Doc, thanks so much for joining us this morning. I probably got you up a little early. Uh, Go have yourself a cup of coffee and get get that caffeine flowing. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. We'll talk to you later now. All right. That's uh, Dr. Ramey at, at Harding. And if you're interested in their physical therapy program, Again, go to harding.edu slash PT. All right, coming back after the news, which is coming up next, we're going to talk to to uh, State Representative Mark Lowry about CRT. The uh, AG has made an opinion on that. All right, Cabin Emergency Hospital, they're ready to handle your emergency, whatever it might be. They do know this, your emergency matters it matters to you because something's happening that's got you really uptight and they want to get you into their uh, emergency hospital and then get you seen as quickly as they possibly can i can promise you this that when you go to cabin emergency hospital on 89 right there by 67 167 in cabot on the side that david's burgers is on uh, these folks are going to get you in the back. You're not going to be sitting there for an hour waiting to get to the back or an hour and a half or even two hours. If, if Look, if you've got a kidney stone uh, and you're suffering pain from that, the last thing you want to do is to have to try to sit out in the waiting room and be comfortable while you uh, wait to get back to be seen by a physician. Uh, and uh, the physicians there at the uh, Cabot Emergency Hospital are board-certified emergency physicians with over 130 years of experience, and they are there every day, every hour, because the Cabot Emergency Hospital is always open, 24-7, 365. They've got uh, all the necessary equipment for you. They've got the x-rays, the CT scans, the bedside ultrasounds. They've got MRI, which are really important when you get sports-related injuries and things of that nature. There's an on-site lab. There's a pharmacy that's on-site. They can take care of you. Now, if it's something that you need to be seen by a doctor and you need surgery or something like that, They'll get you stable. They'll get you in a in a in an ambulance, and they'll get you on your way here to to Little Rock, North Little Rock, uh, where you can see a cardiologist or whomever you might have to see. But they're going to take good care of you while you're there and get you ready to get to the other people that need to take over. That's Cabot Emergency Hospital. That's on eighty nine 
right there by 67167 in Cabot. You can get back to life faster by using Cabot Emergency Hospital. All right, I want to talk today with uh, State Representative Mark Lowry. Mark has been a guest on the show several times over the last few weeks. We've talked to him about the 1619 Project. And uh, recently, we have spent a lot of time talking about critical race theory. Well, the Attorney General issued an opinion on critical race theory, and uh, I'm, I'm sure that the, the representative is happy with what she had to say. Mark, welcome to the show this morning, and, and bring us up to date what the, uh, the uh, AG has said. Good morning, Dave. Um, yes, I, I'm very pleased by the opinion. It, it's an opinion that I had requested back in early June. Uh, the uh, the opinion uh, or the question that was asked was, does the teaching of uh, critical race theory violate the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution and uh, the Civil Rights Act of 1964? And her, her answer uh in the first several paragraphs was very direct. The answer was yes. But her analysis uh, is even more powerful. Uh, And let me just read a little bit of it just to give you an idea of how strong uh, this opinion was. Uh, the, The opinion says, any effort to take account of race in a way that differently accords benefits or opportunities or creates a hostile environment in an educational institution is almost certainly unlawful under the Equal Protection Clause and Title VI. This includes overt racial segregation or other discrimination, however well-intended, as well as any form of racial stereotyping or segregating. The thing that's very helpful about this opinion is that uh, it goes into great detail of defining the the type of actions or the type of uh, instruction uh, that uh, that this opinion affects um, many parents that have been requesting uh, information on whether critical race theory is involved in curriculum uh, have been stymied because in many cases uh, the, the term critical race theory has not been used but other terms like uh, diversity training or equity uh, any t- any number of uh, terms are used, and so these parents are having to be. And and I'm meeting with some of the groups to let them know: here are the terminologies that you need to be requesting when you're asking um, to review curriculum. And that's very important uh, because uh, we passed in the legislative session in uh, in the spring a bill, Act 684 of 2021, that gives parents the right to uh, review and to challenge curriculum. And that would, uh, that process, that appeal process would start with the principal and then uh, the principal doesn't act, the superintendent and then the school board. Uh, But the parents really need to be armed with something that is this strong uh, to be able to, uh, to protest that curriculum and, and or any event uh, that is that encircles or uh, is attached to uh, the curriculum. Yeah, what I think is interesting is how they try to hide this, and they do try to hide this. We, we've seen it happen all over the United States. 
and uh, just recently with governor's school we had a student that was here on the uh, the show who attended governor's school and there was a level where crt was uh, was taught and uh, you all have the ability to go into governor's school and watch what they do and the only problem is you don't get to go into that particular area to hear what the students are being taught. That's correct, isn't it? That is a, that is right. Uh, there is a legislator's day, a specific day. Um, I, you know, I've never attempted as a legislator to show up on a different day for legislator's day. And you, you can imagine that everything's all spick and span and, and sterilized the day that the legislators are going to be there. But even at that, the, the day that legislators can come, um, you can only go to the, the students' academic courses, which might be math or science or visual arts or whatever. You can't uh, attend this Area 3 where they have the discussions such as critical race theory. So, you know, we're, we're going to be having a hearing on that as well. But the main thing is with this opinion, uh, I'm, I'm going to take this opinion. I, I had a press conference yesterday. I called upon Secretary uh, uh, of Education Johnny Key to issue a commissioner's memo that would be sent to superintendents, uh, advising them of this opinion, and also further advising them as a caution uh, that by allowing the teaching of critical race theory, it could violate a student's constitutional rights. And as such, the school district or even the individual teacher teaching it could be prone to be uh, taken into federal court. Uh, the school district would not be able to then use sovereign immunity to be able to protect them from those actions uh, because sovereign immunity is not recognized in the federal court. All right, so when we come back, I want to take a break and, and get it in and then finish up our interview with you today. Uh, I want you to talk to us and kind of walk us through uh, again, what a parent should do if they want to make sure this is not being taught in their school system. And I'm sure FOIs and all of that are involved in this. And what to do if you get pushback uh, from your superintendent or your principal or, or whomever. We'd like to talk to you about that, Mark. I'm sure that uh, you're telling parents uh, what to do in cases like that. So we'll talk more here on the Dave Ellswick Show about critical race theory. The Attorney General has said unconstitutional. It's going to be unconstitutional. Could land you in, uh, you know, land you in uh, court. So uh, we'll talk further about that here in just a moment. Don't forget about Dustin Turner. I've been talking about him now for months, and I have been promising you that he is the guy to go to if you're trying to sell your home. Uh, I'm, I get, I went to him. I'm, I'm trying to get my home fixed up and ready to go on the, the market. My son-in-law has been doing some carpentry work for me. Uh, we're doing some work outside the house, get a little curb appeal going around the Ellswick. Uh, I like to call it a mansion. It's anything, but, but, uh, gives you, you know, makes it going to make it look nice and taken care of. Uh, doing some painting and things of that nature, doing things that Dustin Turner told us to do so that when people do come out to look at the house after they've seen it on the Internet and uh, are already three-quarters of the way in love with it, 
uh, that uh, when they get there, you'll have it ready for them and have a lot of uh, people putting in offers. I told you the story about my friend of my my son-in-law is going to PCS to Germany, uh, put his home up for sale. It hit the market on a Thursday. He had 16 open houses, 16 open houses that Friday and Saturday. He sold on Sunday and closed on Monday. That's how hot the uh, the uh, the uh, house market is right now. Uh, Dustin, make sure they get photographers out to your house, get great pictures of your house, get those pictures on the Internet uh, on uh, locations where – the maximum number of people are going to see it, so you get the maximum number of of uh, of sites of it, and get uh, some extra people that want to uh, buy your home, and hopefully, uh, not only get the amount of money you were asking, but maybe a, a little bit more. Call them at five zero one nine five two two nine six nine. That's five zero one nine five two two nine six nine, or visit them. Uh, online at hometeamsoldit.com. That's hometeamsoldit.com. Told you I would call the only agent that uh, I'd call if I needed to sell my home, and I did, and that's Dustin Turner. I've just joined us. Our guest is, of course, uh, State Representative Mark Lowry. We've had Mark on the show many times. He's a great friend of the show. We've been talking about uh, CRT the uh, Attorney General, Leslie Rutledge, just came out with an opinion on this uh, just the other day. Mark had a press conference yesterday. Uh, the Attorney General says she doesn't believe that CRT will pass constitutional muster. And so, uh, Mark, when you, you start questioning uh, your particular school uh, w- about whether critical race theory is being taught, uh, as you mentioned earlier on in our conversation, it can be called something different than CRT. It uh, can be called by all kinds of different uh, monikers. So what should the parent do? Uh, if Let's say they, they file a Freedom of Information Act in FOIA, and uh, what are some things that they should say? Should they say, I want to see any emails uh, among faculty and administration uh, dealing with CRT, critical race theory, uh, diversity training. I mean, how many different names do you have to put in there to make sure you cover everything? Well, Dave, you're exactly right. You, you do have to uh, provide a, a wide range of, uh, of monikers, so to speak, for, for this, and, and you've listed most of them. Uh, FOI, uh, an FOI request uh, is certainly one way to go about it. Another that we've equipped parents with is an act that we passed during the legislative session, Act 684. Now, some of the school districts will probably say because it provides that each school district shall develop and adopt or adopt policies uh, in accordance with this act. And so since uh, the act just went into effect July 28, uh, they probably would hide behind the fact that they haven't adopted the policy yet, but an FOI will also do the same thing. It just does not have the uh, the added uh, uh, power of challenging uh, curriculum or events, uh, instructional events, which is contains in Act 684. 
but uh, you're exactly right. They should be asking about any uh, emails, any instructional materials uh, that are used to uh, to uh, talk, to discuss diversity, equity, uh, anti-racism, racism, uh, any number of terms. And uh, we're hoping also that with this attorney general's opinion uh, that some of the school districts will start shutting down some of the, those activities. Uh, you know, in Arkansas, an attorney general's opinion is just that. It's not binding, mm-hmm. uh, but it does have the power of law, I believe. I think it also gives an extra resource to parents. Uh, and if they are aware of this opinion, they, they and they're making their request, uh, they can take it to the school district. Uh, and, and I think, you know, school districts, they don't want to end up in court. Um, and that's really the impact of this opinion. And that's why we're asking Commissioner Key, Secretary Key, uh, to send his memo to school districts cautioning them uh, that they, you know, some of the principals, superintendents say, well, we don't know exactly, you know, what's being taught in each class. Well, they should. Yeah. That's, the, that's their job. And uh, so we're, we're going to really put the heat on them. I know that there are parent groups uh, in various parts of the state. There's a very active group up in northwest Arkansas uh, that has been uh, petitioning the Bentonville School District, Bayville School District on these materials, and and now we've given them an extra resource to be able to push back on uh, uh, making sure that uh, this type of teaching is banned. Uh, Interestingly enough, uh, the Attorney General's opinion talks about uh, discrimination uh, in educational institutions. She does not uh, uh, set aside and say that this is, this opinion uh, just affects K twelve. That it educational institutions would also include higher ed. So that's going to be an interesting part of this discussion. But frankly, we still need to pass legislation uh, here in Arkansas that would ban it. Uh, and hopefully with a, a potential special session sometime in the fall re- regarding uh, tax um, uh, tax restructuring or tax breaks, uh, we might we'll be a, hopefully we can compel the governor or request that the governor also add a critical race theory issue to the call. Well, you know, you would hope that school boards, superintendents, principals would all be you know, open to working with the parents uh, of their school districts. But we've seen that to be not 100% the case. What should parents be prepared for? I mean, Joey McCutcheon is fighting in court about this up in northwest Arkansas. Right. Well, they should be prepared uh, that there's going to be pushback. There's going to be, I think, deception. Uh, they, they may even, if you provide an FOI, and this is, you know, the typical legal trick is to, uh, to provide so much, uh, documentation pages. Uh, I, I heard recently of one, uh, FOI, uh, related to, uh, oh gosh, I'm trying to think well, what the issue was, but anyway, 5,000, 5,000 pages of documents were produced. Well, if this is just a parent, you know, they can be overwhelmed by that, trying to find the smoking gun right. uh, that is that is contained within those 5,000 
pages or more. Um, so I, you know, I think that we're, we're trying to give multiple areas of attack. Uh, and, and again, legislation is going to be the most important, important way, but, uh, at some point, there has to be a collective effort like there is in uh, northwest Arkansas, where one parent is not alone taking on the burden of having to make this request, but also potentially hire an attorney uh, to to force the school district to do the right thing. And I'm sure uh, with Joey McCutcheon, uh, you know, he... He is doing this on behalf of a large group of parents. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and, and I think that that's what commu- different communities need to do. I, I don't have the uh, the uh, uh, bill number or the act number, but my understanding is that we passed a, a law in this last session that will make every school board member up for re-election next year. Every one of them, not not just the ones that are currently up for re-election and and that is that uh, that's because they have to uh redraw their lines as as well as legislators so that that will put a little scare in current school board members uh that uh, they can't hide behind saying well i'm not up for re-election for two years or three years or whatever the staggered terms are and uh, hopefully that'll make school board members also be a part of this. Well, Mark, we appreciate all the hard work you're uh, putting in on CRT. We appreciate you. We appreciate the Attorney General. Thank you for sending this uh, letter off to the uh, uh, Department of Education or our our State Board of Education to Johnny Key. Uh, Let us know what he says about that and if he's going to send that letter out and keep us appraised of all this. And you go ahead and have a, a great day today. Okay, thank you, Dave. All right, talk to you later. Mm, Bye-bye. Okay, that's uh, State Representative Mark Lowry here on the Dave Ellswick Show. CRT is a serious, serious subject, and uh, you should be looking into your school district to make sure uh, that it's not being taught in your schools. All right, with that, we'll take a break. We've got Congressman French Hill coming up. Uh, at 7.05, we'll talk to him, of course, about Afghanistan and about inflation. And then uh, at the bottom of next hour, Stephen Moore going to be with us from Freedom Works. We'll be talking to him as well about the economy here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Just uh, looking at the color radar, and the rain is uh, building to the south of us and moving our way. So I think you can we can say pr- pretty much with certainty that we're going to get some rain today 
I'm seeing as much as as half an inch, perhaps, uh, in our area. That's not a bad thing. We really do need some rain here in uh, central Arkansas, so I'm not going to complain about it too much. I can miss a couple of days of laying out by the pool in the afternoon with the sun beating down on me because I can get back to it uh, on uh, uh, Friday. They said Friday we're going to be up in the 90s again, and the sun's going to be shining, and the UV index is going to be around 10, so... It's going to be great. That's going to be great. All right. We're going to be joined right now by Congressman uh, uh, French Hill. It's good to have uh, the congressman here. We can ask him uh, some really uh, major questions today. We'll just start, and I'll, I'll let you talk for as long as you want to, Congressman. Your thoughts about what's going on in Afghanistan? Well, Dave, it's good to be with you. Thanks for the invitation, as always. Uh, once again, I think after seven and a half months of the Biden presidency, we once again see a complete incompetence. We saw it on the border. We saw it in uh, handling the economy with monetary and fiscal policy, proposing to raise taxes, raise regulations. We've seen it on energy independence. We've seen it in foreign policy with him attempting to go back into the failed Iran deal. And now, the Americans, uh, as they turn on TV and look at the Internet, are stunned to see the incompetence in trying to exit Afghanistan after 20 years. I think if you are someone who thought America should not have stayed in Afghanistan or someone who felt that the service and sacrifice of our sailors and soldiers and airmen were acceptable risk in order to keep America safe from another terror haven, with a small footprint, either group is stunned by the incompetence of the Biden administration. Yeah, that's that's really uh, an understatement, Congressman. To be honest, I mean, now you're not as old as I am, but you're in the vicinity. When you saw things going down in Afghanistan just the other day, were you not struck by how close it looked like Saigon back in 1975? Well, sure. And, of course, Joe Biden said on July 8th there was no chance of that happening. Yeah, sure. Let me tell you, Dave, on the classified briefing I attended, bipartisan classified briefing with General Milley, uh, Secretary of State Blinken, Secretary of uh, Defense Austin, and our National Intelligence Chief back in April, April 20th, they laid out this plan. And everyone there was skeptical, saying, how is this possible? When I was in Afghanistan in 2015, there talking to U.S. troops on the ground, talking to Afghan officials, what were the common themes? Well, the the men armed in Afghanistan were brave. They followed direction. But but they didn't maintain equipment. They didn't have any air power. They couldn't uh, consistently be trained to do any kind of air support whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were not sticking with it. And so even uh, six years ago, there was skepticism about really completely turning over the military operations uh, to a non-NATO coordinated and led force. And so uh, this this is not a surprise to anyone except the Biden administration. And I assume the Pentagon, because uh, our military prides itself on outstanding execution. And so to say that they contemplated this outcome is clearly not the case or not sufficiently the case. 
Now, let's talk about something that I think is a uh, a narrative that is not true that is out there. Uh, and it was a narrative that happened during Vietnam, and that was that the South Vietnamese troops that were fighting alongside American troops were not any good. Uh, my brother told me when he came back from Vietnam that wasn't true, that South Vietnamese fought right alongside with American troops and died right, aside, right beside American troops. Uh, I think it, it, it stunned everybody uh, uh, yesterday when it came out that in the, the last 10 years, 50,000 Afghan troops have lost their lives uh, going up against the Taliban. I mean, they've, they've been bleeding on their own soil for several years now. 100%. Our guys have been in a intelligence uh, direction mode, uh, air support road mode, close air support. And these Afghan forces have taken the fight to the Taliban uh, consistently every day, every night uh, for the past uh, decade. And that has to be their service has to be saluted in their own in their own country. And so when Biden says, well, you know, uh, they won't even fight for their own country. Hell, they have been fighting for their own country for 20 years. And this was a failed plan in execution. And let me contrast it with what President Trump attempted to do last year. President Trump uh, wanted, as you know, he campaigned on uh, removing a large uh, U.S. troop position in Afghanistan. But he said he wouldn't do it unless he could be assured of uh, a non-terrorist state where people could attack Americans or organize attacks against the West. And he had conditions on how the Taliban would uh, disband and rejoin civil society in Afghanistan and be part of the country, not an opposition guerrilla force or take over the whole government. And those conditions could never be met. And so that's why President Trump never took the decision to do a complete pullout uh, because he wasn't getting those conditions met. And so we come to 2021. Joe Biden could have taken any direction he wanted. He blames President Trump for having opened those negotiations with the Taliban. But President Biden, President Biden is the one who agreed to do this with no conditions. And what you get with no conditions is you got chaos. Yeah. And that's what they got. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be hearings on this. Something tells me that's going to happen if, uh, in the House, Pelosi allows it to happen. Uh, but I would like to hear why they decided to, to, to close down Bagram, uh, the Air Force base there, where we could have had runways available for bringing our people out and launching close air support for the Afghan army. I think that's why they failed. You're, you're out there, and uh, the American Air Force has been, and we got the greatest air force in the world. Let's face it, we've got the greatest air power around, and we can do uh, close air support like that. And all of a sudden, we send these guys out there, and uh, they don't have any air support whatsoever. That's a suicide mission, Congressman. Absolutely. I think that was one of the examples of the failure in the exit planning was closing Bagram. And uh, I've got two guys right now. I just got a text from them while I'm on the radio with you at the North Gate at the Kabul International Airport that have the proper documentation to try to get in. And they've been fighting their way there for two days. 
and they're Americans. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this is what I have a real problem with, is there was no adequate plan for uh, Americans or our allied forces. And that, again, tells me they did not do the contingency plan. They did not have uh, the sufficient resources, and Bagram would have been a key staging point for that. And they've just taken this completely for granted uh, that this outcome was a possibility. So we're working, like a lot of members in Congress, to get Americans and other key personnel out of Afghanistan. The State Department has set up a special number for that uh, to coordinate. And if uh, any listeners have someone uh, they believe is trapped still in Afghanistan or a family member, I hope they'll reach out to my office. All right, let's come back and continue our conversation. I still want to talk a little bit more about Afghanistan because, I mean, our government, and right now Biden is the head of our government, and they're telling these people that are other places in in Afghanistan, hey, we're not coming to come out and get you and bring you uh, to get you out of this country. Well, what in the hell are they supposed to do? Oh, I, I forgot. They're supposed to hunker down in place. Let's talk about that when we come back. 16 minutes after 7, it's the Dave Ellswick Show. If you got questions about filing for your Social Security, you can get those answers in a simple, easy-to-understand booklet. Been talking about this. Have you gotten yours yet? It's free. It's your guide to Social Security. Written by David Lucas, Financial in North Little Rock, 27 pages long, outlines what you need to know, and that can help you get even more income. When you file for your Social Security, do you want to do it at 62? You can, but you're going to get more money if you file at 66 and a half or at 70. If you're within five years of filing for Social Security, get this free booklet now by calling 501-222-3315. You receive a free customized Social Security analysis. It's worth about $1,000. You're going to get it free. And that pinpoints the optimal time to wring every nickel out of your benefits. Pick up the phone. Call them now. 501-222-3315. That's 501-222-3315. All right, just so you'll know a little bit of history here right now. On this day, 101 years ago, 1920, the 19th Amendment was uh, by one vote passed in the house of uh, in the house of uh, uh, Tennessee and uh, made law here in the United States of America so uh, women got the right to vote on this day 101 years ago big date to remember if you're a, you know a history nut like I am all right our guest is uh, congressman uh, uh, Hill I want to go back to Af- Afghanistan for a moment <coughs> I mean, there, there's a rule on the battlefield. You never leave uh, leave an American troop on the, on, the, on the battlefield. You get him and you bring him back, alive or dead. And uh, we've got nearly 50,000 Americans, from what I'm understanding. Uh, congressmen spread all out over Afghanistan. And this administration wasn't prepared to get them back to to the to the airport now they're kind of telling them you got we can't guarantee your uh, safety coming back uh, to get out of after out of afghanistan this is not what you want to hear if you're an american citizen whether you're in the united states or somebody who's trapped over in afghanistan absolutely not absolutely not and on top of the uh 
non-governmental folks helping, you know, uh, provide social services in Afghanistan and intelligence people and uniformed advisors scattered across uh, Afghanistan that, again, the White House confirmed yesterday. They're making no commitment to evacuating all Americans. I mean, this is, again, irresponsible, irresponsible. There are also two, uh, we have two Americans held hostage in Afghanistan. And while the Biden administration has facilitated uh, the Taliban emptying the prison in Kabul, what has he done about bringing these two Americans home? One of that we know is held by the Taliban and another we don't know where they are. But two Americans uh, that are, are, are still held hostage in that country on top of these thousands of Americans that are working there on behalf of of uh, the U.S. mission. So, uh, I, I mean, it, this is a unmitigated disaster, but it's one that people saw coming. This has been this is not a new topic. This is not a new topic. And it's a sign, I think, of military uh, planning failure and uh the Biden administration's uh, failure in execution. I'll tell you, as a former member of the United States Air Force, Balgram would have never shut down. Never. I mean, I think we should have kept that Air Force base open and uh, and well fortified just to keep an eye on Afghanistan and al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda is still in Afghanistan. Yeah, and the reason for that light footprint approach, I think, is being demonstrated right now with a light NATO footprint in an air uh, support capacity like at Bagram that holds the Chinese at bay, that holds uh, the Pakistanis at bay. It it keeps uh, a message to the Indians and the Pakistanis about uh, playing well with their neighbors. This is a critical area. It has been a graveyard for many an empire. We yep. know the story of Afghanistan. But in this environment with Iran and with the shifting uh, role of China in the region, uh, this would have been a key place, I think, for NATO to keep a small light force. I do not think you would have seen uh, the Taliban do what they did if that been the case. Yeah, I agree with that 100 percent. And Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Congressman, I, I really hope we'll have hearings about this because this is so botched, it's ridiculous. I mean, look, I, I wasn't some general ordering troops around and moving the pieces on a map, but I'm not I'm smart enough to know that you don't take you, you don't take all your troops out of all your bases and leave uh, Americans stranded all over that country. That's just the most ignorant thing I've ever heard of. All right, I'll move on. I'll move on. You can tell I'm I'm irritated by this. Anyway, let let and I'm sure you all up in Congress are really irritated. You got a you got a vote coming up. Uh, the uh, Senate uh, version of uh, the I guess the uh, infrastructure bill, the Republican bill, is coming over to the House now. Is that correct? Well, next week, uh, Pelosi is going to bring a rule to the floor. The rule is how the speaker uh, structures legislation to come to the floor. So we're actually not going to vote on the infrastructure bill or the incredible inflation spurring $3.5 trillion extra Bernie Sanders spending bill. She's going to have a rule that probably governs both, which allows her to then call up either bill to the floor when she wants to. The conservative, more conservative, centrist Democrats want that vote to next week on the infrastructure bill. She's not going to give it to them based on what I'm reading. 
uh, she's going to continue to march down this socialist agenda with $3.5 trillion Bernie bill. I'll tell you, Dave, on infrastructure, and I want a bipartisan infrastructure bill, but I've now read the Senate bill. I have not finished studying the pay-fors, how they propose to pay for it, but so far, out of $1.1 trillion over eight years, I think, about a hundred, a little over $100 billion was roads and bridges. Really? Most of it goes to mass transit. It goes to rail. It go, It does some of it goes to broadband. So I'm still parsing through the details on this. Um, the headlines on this bill coming out of the Senate are not as good when you read the details. Okay, so let me ask this question. Are you yeah. getting the sense that the Democrats understand that there's blood in the water. By that, I mean they understand that Biden's administration is hamstrung now. I mean, this guy's got more crises going on uh, than, as the old saying was, Carter has little liver pills. He's got them happen. They're happening everywhere. They're on the border. They're they're, they're everywhere. And uh, they know the 22 elections are not that far away. We're, we're getting to be within a year, and everybody's going to be turning their attention to that, and they're going to lose a buttload of seats in, in, in the House. Is that why we're seeing her do what she does? Yeah, this is it. This is uh, the next few months are her last shot, in my opinion, at trying to move the Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, big government, liberal takeover hr1 s1 the 3.5 extra trillion running a six trillion dollar budget deficit uh you know just all those liberal green new deal priorities this is her last shot and she's going to be very deliberate about it because she sees she now has only a three vote margin in the house she sees the 50 50 tie in the senate she sees the Biden administration's leadership capability waning. So you bet. This is Waterloo time for Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. Yeah. She's going to be giving up the gavel in, 20, in uh, early 23. I do believe that. And I'm sure Kevin McCarthy can't wait to hold that gavel in his hands, to be honest with you. And I sure hope that it happens. It's, it's got to happen. I mean, it's got I got enough belief in America still and the Americans that they're going to vote these fools out of office. And there's a lot of them up there. There's a lot of reasons to vote them out for the bad decisions by the Biden administration. And I remind people all the time, we had the best economy before the pandemic in 50 years. We had regulatory policy, tax policy, business policy, border policy, foreign policy, trade policy, all heading in a much better direction. And that's been completely turned on its head by the Biden administration. I got to ask one last question. I got one minute left. All right. And that's this. Let's say we, I'm sure we're going to win the House back. I'm, I'm just going to say that out loud. We're going to win. I think we may win as many as 65 to 70 seats. If we win back the Senate as well, can you guys push back enough on Biden to force him to do the things that you want to do? Well, if we got a good working uh, consensus in the Senate, and I think uh, we would win the Senate right now on a generic ballot if the election were held today. It all depends on good candidates. The Senate has got to recruit some good candidates in these tough states. Okay. But, uh, look, then you'd be putting the shoe on the other foot for the Democrats on the filibuster. But we would control the House floor 
and we would begin to push back on the liberal leadership by Biden. And Biden, if he's a good politician, would pivot just like Bill Clinton. All right. I got to run. We're out of time. Take care. Appreciate you. Talk to you later. We got uh, Bill O'Reilly coming up right here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, don't forget about Pat Davis and your health insurance. He'll give you a good uh, education on how you can save 30 to 50% on health insurance, get the kind of health insurance you want from any provider in the nation, uh, a preferred health plan for for you if you happen to be self-employed or you happen to own a business and uh, you're still helping your employees get reasonable health uh, care uh, or health insurance, they, he can help you f- mitigate that. And uh, he can do a few other things for you, like uh, get you no copays, get it so that if there's money left over, you, that you're, you're going you're gonna to get it or your employees are going to get it, not the insurance company. What you need to do is call him. Uh, Pat Davis then will walk you through this. 501-605-6935. 501-605-6935, or visit him online. They know him as the Health Plan Man. That's his uh, website, yourhealthplanman.com. All right, we had an uh, an interview with you with uh, Stephen Moore, uh, worked with Wall Street Journal, is with FreedomWorks now. We talked with him about the economy, and here's what he had to say. I'm glad to have him back on the show. Stephen Moore joins us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. He's with FreedomWorks. And uh, want to talk to him about uh, the economy, because when you want to talk about the economy, you talk to Stephen Moore. That's the way I look at it. How you doing, sir? Hi, Dave. Great to be with you. It's just, just, just a lot of fun. It's going to be good. Uh, I read an interview with the Washington Examiner, and uh, it was with you. And you said a couple of interesting things about in that. You are very much concerned about Biden's binge spending. You want to talk about that uh, a little bit? Well, hopefully every American is concerned about that. I mean, it's uh, it's an existential threat to our country right now and our financial well-being. And you see already the signs of higher and higher inflation all the time because of the massive spending that's going on in Washington. I've never seen anything like it. I've been here for 30-some years and studying fiscal and uh, economic policy. And I think that uh, these people that are in the White House right now and in Congress running the the financial policies of our country are at very serious risk of bankrupting our country with all the massive uh, spending and taxing and borrowing and printing of money. You know, we, we're, we've, uh, the bill that they put out, um, you know, for infrastructure and for so-called, uh, you know, social uh, welfare spending, that bill is more expensive adjusted for inflation than the amount of money we spent to fight the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, World War One, World War Two, to build the interstate highway system and uh, to win the Cold War. So, uh, you know, this is a very dangerous moment for our country. I think everyone knows, I don't care if you're a liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat, that this is insanity, what's going on in Washington, and it has to stop. We have to stop it now. Uh, there will be a big battle. I'm calling it the War of the Worlds. It's coming up over the next three months as the Democrats try to ram this through without a single Republican vote. Yeah, they're going to try to do this, uh, you know, where they can... Uh play some parliamentary tricks and they got things in this bill that they wanted with was a 3.2 or 3.5 trillion dollars uh that they call infrastructure but now they've renamed it to social 
infrastructure. <laughs> right. You know, I, love that. I was I love always that. I always <laughs> heard that called welfare. Yeah, it's just welfare. It's just a welfare program. It's the Great Society. It's LBJ's War on Poverty times three. And, uh, you know, it was the old joke back, you know, 25 years after the war on poverty began. You know, we fought a war on poverty and poverty won. Mm-hmm. All those programs just led to more and more people dependent on government. And it wasn't until we actually reformed the welfare system. And that actually happened under Bill Clinton, a Democrat and a Republican Congress, that we required work for welfare. We required, you know, we had term limits and we stopped paying people, you know, just, you know, for not being productive. And uh, none of these programs that Biden wants, you see, yesterday he was proposing a 25 percent increase in food stamps on top of the yes. you know, a week of extra unemployment benefits on top of the, you know, eviction moratorium on top of the free health care. You know, it's just everything is going to be free in the United States. It's going to be a wonderful country. You know, nobody's going to work, but everything's going to be free. Mm, yeah, we know that that's not going to happen. No such yeah, thing as right. a free lunch. Uh, somebody's paying for it. You always mention everybody for the people who complain about on the left, they complain about the rich people. The top one percent earners pay more in taxes than ninety-two uh, percent of taxpayers. Yeah, that's exactly right, and you know it's that the, the rich now pay a larger share of our taxes than any time in history, and yet this is before the uh, you know this is before the uh, the bill that they're talking about passing now. So. Uh, and so I, I am very worried about this. I think that if they, they were able to pass this bill and, and, you know, they're maneuvering right now, as you said, with all sorts of tricks to try to get this thing passed, it, we will spend literally decades, decades uh, paying for this. And every child born in the United States, if they pass this bill, will be, uh, you know, the day they leave the maternity ward will be stuck with a $650,000 share of the debt. I mean, what great country does that? Uh, you know, pass all these costs on to our children and grandchildren. I've never seen anything like it before in my life. Well, the thing that worries me is that uh, I I look at the American taxpayer and I I just look at Americans in general and it's like, yeah, give me a $1,200 check and do whatever you want. Spend as much as you want. It's just, it's unnerving and I'm with you. It concerns me greatly. Well, look, the only way that the government, I mean, this is very simple. The only way that the government can give you $1,000 is to take away $1,000 from me, right? I mean, there's no free money, right? It's just, it's all a transfer, an income transfer. And so what we're doing is people are hardworking, the people, you know, the heroes of our economy, the people who've been working through COVID, the people who are working in nursing homes and hospitals and the delivery people, and the people working in the grocery stores and the warehouses and the truck drivers. And, you know, the people who've really soldiered through this. And, you know, now we're paying people more money to stay uh, on the sideline watching Netflix all day than working. I mean, it's insanity, really. I mean, this is the road to ruination of our country. And it's not fair to the people who are working that, you know, you come home from a uh, hard day's work and the guy next door is watching TV and getting making more money than you are. Is it in our country that the average voter is just kind of ignorant about how all of this works out and how the economics works out, that they don't understand that if you flood the market with government dollars, inflation is going to go sky high? No, look, I don't think the American voters are ignorant. I think that they understand what's going on here. I think that, you know, now, look, one thing about Americans, though, they love free things. (laughs) Right. Somebody's going to offer you something for free. You're going to take it. So, you know, Biden is playing Santa Claus. I'm going to give you this free. You're going to get free food, free health care, free kindergarten, free child care. You're going to get uh, free rent. You're going to get free community college. Everything's going to be free. 
And I think most Americans understand that this is something that is, uh, you know, they tried that in Venezuela, they tried it in Cuba, mm-hmm. they tried it in Korea. You know, it hasn't worked anywhere, and this is socialism. And I don't, I think um, we as Americans don't have socialism in our DNA. We we know that it's wrong. We know it doesn't work. We know it has catastrophic effects on uh, on our on our economy. And and uh, you know, people can see the inflation. You know, you see it. That people can see the um, the uh, the effect uh, that it's having on. Uh, uh, people's willingness to work. Everybody knows somebody who's not working because they're getting more money from the government for not working. And there's 10 million jobs. And, you know, the economy actually is improving a lot because of the vaccine and people getting out there now and businesses reopening. And yet uh, we have a record 10 million job openings, and yet we're paying people supplemental unemployment insurance to stay off the job. Well, I, I know that I thought Carter was the worst president we ever had. But now I'm looking at Biden, and I think he's going to make Carter look like a, a, a good guy. You know what I'm saying? I think Carter uh, was a terrible president, obviously. I, you know, that was the first election I paid attention to. I always say, I know God smiles on America. Jimmy Carter was not reelected in 1980, <laughs> and we had the Reagan Revolution. And, you know, that changed everything. It changed the whole trajectory of the country. It was an amazing paradigm shift where freedom and free enterprise and lower taxes and less regulation prevailed. And that was, you know, a spectacular, spectacular, you know, era for America. Now, you know, Joe Biden um, – is off to a horrific start. I mean, can you ever imagine a president having a worse week than Joe Biden last week? First, we've got what's going on in Afghanistan is a total disaster for America. It makes us look weak and, and completely um, feckless. And then you look at what's happening with price. Consumer prices have gone through the roof. We've got the debt that's massively rising. We've got COVID cases rising. We've got a border that's out of control. You know, we've got the American president going hat in hand to the Saudis and saying, please, will you please, please, please increase your production? It's like, why are we increasing production of the oil in the United States, you idiot? You know, why do we want to get our oil from Saudi Arabia? Why don't we get it from North Dakota? Why don't we get it from Texas and Oklahoma? So why don't we build, why are we building pipelines, you know, from Siberia, you know, Russia to Germany, but we can't build pipelines here in the United States? I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I think it's, I don't know if it's ideology or just complete incompetence, but this is turning out to be a disastrous presidency. Do you think that this is the, what the left wanted? Well, what do you mean by that? All right. Do you think that this is how they've kind of set things up? Are, are there people that hate this country so much they'd be willing to watch it fall, you know, onto the, the, the ash heap of history, so to speak? Well, that's a good question. Look, I do think that the left rejects what you and I, I think most great Americans and, you know, patriotic Americans, we do believe that America is a shining city on a hill. We believe in American exceptionalism. That, as Reagan put it, it was divine providence who put us here as a beacon of freedom for the rest of the world. I, I believe that. I think you do, too. Yep. I don't think the left believes that. I don't think that they believe America is a special place. I think they believe we're responsible for a lot of the problems in the world. And no, we're not, we're not, a, you know, we're not uh, without fault. <laughs> you know, we've had slavery. We've had a lot of terrible things happen in this country, but we are still the greatest nation on the history of the planet. And, uh, I think the left doesn't, I think this president, unlike Donald Trump, who I work for, and, you know, I was just one of the chief economic advisors, Every I didn't always agree with everything Trump did either, but I think that Trump always I was in many meetings with him in the Oval Office and every decision he made was about putting America first. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the left does that. I don't, do you think they put America first? Well, that's what I'm asking you, because I sure don't I, I think don't so. I mean, I don't I don't know if this is mendacious or just they really believe that socialism and 
you know, there like there are a lot of liberals who I know who are friends of mine who really are good-hearted people. They're just confused about how do you create wealth? How do you create jobs? How do you create businesses? How do you make better people that are off? You know, if it were, uh, you know, if Maoism and socialism worked, then you know Venezuela would be a very rich country today. Instead, people are starving to death there. So socialism is not the way to go, and we have to reject it resoundingly. And we, you know, this is the next three or four months are going to be crucial. We need people to really rise up peacefully, obviously peacefully. The left believes in violence. We believe in peace. But it is our right, our constitutional rights, our First Amendment rights to tell Washington, no, 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 you're not going to do this. You're not going to bankrupt our country. You're not going to send inflation to 10 percent. You're not going to weaken America's role in the world. Um, you know, we need to lead by example. We're not exactly doing that right now. And so I am concerned because I think I'm not sure whether Biden is even running things right now. I think it might just be a bunch of left wing punk idiot kids that have taken over our White House with radical left-wing ideas. I think that uh, you may be right on that. we got to take a break. We're going to come back. We'll finish up our conversation. Stephen Moore is with me. It's always nice to have him with us. I got to know him when he wrote a book about why America was great. I want to ask him if he's as, as positive now for our country as he was with that book. We'll be back and talk about it when we continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, second half of our interview with Stephen Moore. Good to have him with us. I hope you got the first part of it. If you didn't, go to my Facebook uh, post, facebook.com slash Dave Ellswick Show, and you can listen to the uh, interview in its entirety. Uh, Share it with your friends. Everybody needs to hear this. He's got a lot of important things to say. You wrote a book many years ago. Was it in the 90s that you wrote about how great America was? Uh, yeah, it's called It's Getting Better All the Time. About yeah. Great friends of the 20th century and how, you know, everything from our living standards to our environment to, you know, our health, uh, you know, it's things that we can buy. The technology is, is so improved life on this planet, you know, and, uh, you know, as bad as things are right now, you know, thank God we were uh, born 100 years ago. Things I guarantee you were a lot worse than they are today. Correct. So you still you're still the positive Stephen Moore that I've always known. I'm very concerned right now. I mean, I never thought we would have a president who, I mean, he's been in office now, what, nine months or so. Mm -hmm. I can't think of a, I mean, I'm trying to think, I can't think of a single thing he's done right. I don't think, uh, you know, maybe I'm missing something, but, you know, the massive increase in our debt, the, the, the loss of control of our border, the shutdown of American energy, the inflation, the, uh, you know, the, um, the massive tax increase he wants to pass. I, I just don't get it. I don't understand the logic of this when we have so much evidence over the last 40 years that, you know, through deregulation, through less taxes, limited government, the American ideal of a, a government that is, uh, that is uh, you know, very specified powers, it's really what's made America great. And I, I, I worry that we're losing some of that. And some of it is the young people. You know, the young people in this country, the millennials especially, they don't have the same appreciation for American greatness that I think that past generations do. But maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe they will grow up. You know, every generation tends tends to grow up, and we'll see. But right now I talk to the, the young people on campuses. They, they think that socialism is the way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that tells me they've been taught that. <laughs> they've been indoctrinated. You know? yeah. And that's a big problem. You know, when you talk about what do we have to do to get America back again, we've got to take back our schools. You know, we cannot continue to let this left-wing radical the teachers unions run our school. Look, there are a lot of great teachers, by the way. I mean, I think about the great teachers that taught me and really improved my life. There's nothing more important than a great teacher, but there are also, but the teachers union is run by radicals who have shut our schools down, who have um, 
you know, indoctrinate our kids with anti-American propaganda. What, what country does that, by the way? What country teaches their children that their country is a terrible place? Yeah, I, I and I agree with that as as well. Well, let's see. You're 61, if I'm not mistaken. I'm 68. So we both have a little bit of water that's gone under the bridge in our lifetimes. And right. It, it's, it's amazing to watch things happen all over again that happened before. I mean, just yesterday I sat and watched this debacle that's happened in Afghanistan, and I could have sworn I was watching the fall of Saigon in 75. It was it was amazing I, I, to me. I, I, yeah, I, exactly. I think a lot of Americans have had that same remembrance. I remember that. I think I was about 13 or 14 years old when that happened. And, you know, the helicopters trying to get people out of the um, embassy in Saigon and people hanging on to the rudders of the, you know, the, 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 the plane at the, the airport to get out, get out. And that's what's happening in Kabul right now. And look, I, I have to confess, I was never in favor of going into Iraq in the first place and or Afghanistan. I think there were huge mistakes. I'm kind of a, a non-interventionist. And, but still, I mean, you know, to leave the country in the hands of the terrorist Taliban, uh, I don't I don't get that. I mean, I don't I don't I'm not a foreign policy expert, but it's here's what's the problem. One of the things Ronald Reagan taught us was that weakness is provocative. That's right. right? That weakness is provocative. We look weak right now, folks. We have a country that looks weak. And what happens when a country looks weak? It only emboldens our enemies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, think about the guy I mean, who's China, the head of... China is laughing at us right now. Well, they're, they're making hay in Afghanistan right now where they've got so much lithium, they don't know what to do with it. Yep, yep. And they're going to get... Have you heard the story that uh, the United States is serious looking at maybe trying to buy Greenland? Had you Have you heard this? Who, who the, who's going to America is thinking is going to try uh, to buy who, Greenland? Well, we'll see. I have not heard that story. So. Okay, there, no, I mean just for the minerals, nothing else. Just for so the minerals. The thing, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The United States has more natural resources than any other nation in the world. We're endowed by God with incredible resources. In the mountain states, we have more. You know, we have more oil, more gas, more coal, more coal, copper, more rare earth minerals, more precious minerals. Uh, you know, that we've got, by my estimates, and I've done some studies on this, we've got about a $40 trillion, trillion dollars of oil, gas, and coal, and we have another 10 to $15 trillion, trillion dollars of, uh, of um, metals and minerals, mm-hmm. and we should be getting it. It's like we're sitting under this gigantic treasure chest, and we've got these morons running the White House that think, oh, climate change, we can't mine, we can't drill. It's like... You know, if we're not going to get the energy, then somebody else is going to get it, right? I mean, you know, we're going to get it from countries that have much worse environmental standards than we do. So we should be number one energy producer in the world. We should be the number one producer of metals and minerals and and, uh, uh, copper and all of these things. We have so much of it. And we're not doing any of that. We're not using it. So we we have to import this stuff from China. We have to import it from Russia. We have to import it from the Saudi Arabia. I Again... I'm mystified by this because we were doing so well under Trump. I mean, so well. This country was just rocking and rolling, you know, and then COVID hit. And by the way, I think Trump does, in a a just world, he would get the Nobel Peace Prize for the Operation Warp Speed, which was one of the greatest programs uh, ever and saves millions of lives. And, of course, I I think hell is going to freeze over before the Nobel Peace Prize prize goes to Trump. But my point is, you know, we had a great president uh, and uh, 
now we have a president that I, I'm worried. You know, I, I just hope that he gets it together. And boy, can you imagine if Kamala Harris were to take over? Oh. <laughs> it would be worse. Well, let's stop. Let's stop it right there because now you're moving into nightmare territory. Stephen Moore, thank you so much for the time that you've given us today. Let's get back together soon and talk more. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Talk to you later. Now, Stephen Moore here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Great interview. He is one of my uh, favorite guys. Got to know him back in the 90s and uh, have followed up with him and kept up with him. And uh, we have him on about twice a year. You know, I mean, he's a busy guy. So if I get him twice a year, I'm feeling pretty doggone good. Tomorrow, got a great show. Start at 6 a.m. Uh, as usual, Ken Yang's going to be here, chairman of the Saline County uh, GOP. Ryan Norris, who's the uh, chairman of Americans for Prosperity, what they got going. He's going to spend an hour talking about it. They got a lot going. And then Duck from Duck's Garage. And uh, you can question him about cars. He'll have the answers for you all on the Thursday edition of the Dave Ellswick Show. So I'm going to see you then. You have a great day. Try to stay dry. Drive careful. Know that if it rains, the roads will be slick. Because we haven't had much rain in the past, so the oil and stuff is on there. It'll be uh, it'll be a little hard to maneuver at times. See you tomorrow, six a.m. Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.